and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia, and this is my co-host Morgan. Hello. So Morgan's just come out of a screening of Blade Runner 2049. I saw it yesterday morning. I wrote my review immediately after and I was relatively positive apart from some caveats and since then I've slightly edged into less positive territory as time has worn on. Morgan hates this film it turns out but I think in general I'm slightly more at the positive scale. Um, If you've not watched the movie we're just going to spoil the whole thing so whatever. Um, Basically it's as you know, a sequel to the classic 1982 Ridley Scott movie Blade Runner. It's directed by Denis Villeneuve, who directed Arrival and Sicario. It's also like three hours long. It was so fucking <laughs> Which I think long. I was not prepared for. <laughs> they also showed like 10 trailers in front of it. So by the time I got out of there, I was like, how much time has passed? Like, Lear, I have Lear been here forever. <laughs> but yeah, just to give a kind of general plot summary. It's set um, like 30 years after the original film, so 2049, and the main character is a Blade Runner played by Ryan Gosling, whose name is Kay. He's a replicant android, and his job is to hunt down the older generation of replicants who are rebellious and are not paying their respects to the state and doing their good job as slaves. And in the original movie, the kind of allegorical stuff was a lot more subtle, and in this one, they straightforwardly have like a bunch of people being like, this is a slave economy, and we have, must rely on the replicant slaves. And it's like, okay, calm down. Um, <laughs> but basically, he's... You know, he's programmed to be quite obedient, but I think it is a pretty good performance from Ryan Gosling. He kind of has a, a lot of depth of character there in as much as one can when you're playing a robot. And he kind of gets sucked into this mystery about the possibility that a replicant gave birth to a child, which would completely change the stakes of the conflict between replicants and humans, because obviously replicants are second class citizens and if you're a Blade Runner, like Ryan Gosling's character, you get a lot of bigotry aimed at you, but also you're not, you know, people kind of perceive you as subhuman. And if people can have babies, then it means you're human, blah, blah, blah. Um, so this mystery kind of separates him from his loyalty to his government bosses. So he now has this kind of motivation of his own, which is to find out more about this replicant child. Um, and he then kind of figures out maybe that it's him because he has memories of a childhood which he thinks are not implanted but are genuine. Um, so that's kind of one strand of it is him wondering if he is the child and the other strand is him investigating this this situation partly for himself and partly for the LAPD, which leads him to Harrison Ford, Rick Deckard from the original Blade Runner movie, who is the father of this child and has been living in seclusion for 30 years in a kind of classic return of Harrison Ford role, quite frankly. Yes. He's now done three of these. And it's always like, they very much aim it around Harrison Ford's personality, which is kind of grumpy old man. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like everyone else in the movie is wearing like amazing costumes and Harrison Ford is wearing what I would estimate as his own sweatpants. Yeah. <laughs> and um, maybe it was dad jeans, but it was definitely Harrison Ford's clothes. Yeah, I would agree with that assessment. Yeah, this it, there's a rather complicated, but basically it kind of culminates in... Ryan Gosling K being told that actually he's not the child he just has their memories and the real child is this woman we saw earlier in the movie and it kind of ends with her being reunited with Harrison Ford Um, and along the way there is another main character who is not plot relevant at all but is was much of our focus while watching this film because it was such a bizarre creative choice and that's Ryan Gosling's girlfriend who is like basically she's a hologram sex bot she's like this mass market hologram that has basic programming to love 
her owner unconditionally and basically be a perfect housewife and supportive companion. So while this whole story and also the original Blade Runner are all like, what's the nature of humanity? Do I have my own personhood? What if people don't recognize that I'm human? Um, so like Ryan Gosling's going through all these questions and meanwhile he like owns his girlfriend who's this pre-programmed droid and they really not examine it in an intelligent way. That really only scratches the surface of the sexism in this movie. So I had so many problems with this film, but I was sort of... And by the end, I think I definitely wouldn't have liked it at all. Like, no matter what they had done with this particular character, there were a lot of issues with the script that we can talk about. But she is introduced... She's named Joy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe in the third scene? It's right at the beginning of the movie. And I was so turned off by the whole situation and just so mad about it that I was immediately kind of alienated from the movie and aggravated every time she showed up and anything with her happened. And I could just never get into it. And I think part of that is kind of um, an issue with the film itself. I found it very, very slow. And I like, you know, slow movies if they're done well, but I found this aggravatingly slow. Um, I was actually okay with the length. I was completely fine with it being almost three hours long, and I also really enjoyed it visually. Well, I think the slowness for me derived from the fact that I found the plot really dumb, which again, we can discuss. So I think it was a combination of just not being that gripped by it, but also they had put me off of it ten minutes into the movie. And so it was like, well, you've lost me instantaneously. So, okay. But I kept thinking of the Spike Jones film, Her, which I think probably most uh, sort of film nerd type people would have thought of watching this movie. Yeah, I haven't seen Her, but I have seen Ex Machina, and that's the film I was thinking of. <laughs> yes, I thought of that too. But Her is absolutely the closest parallel to this, right? So that came out, I think five years ago now. And it is about Joaquin Phoenix having broken up with his girlfriend sort of several years before and living in a slightly futuristic society. There are these, some sort of software, intelligent software goes on the market that can basically run your life for you. And it's not designed to be a sex bot like this is, but it's this very pleasant woman voiced by Scarlett Johansson and he falls in love with her. But that movie actually examines this in a critical way. And there were people who had issues with it and wrote kind of interesting critiques that I thought were fair, but I really liked the movie. I hadn't thought about it a lot since it came out, but I really enjoyed it at the time. And I think I probably would again. And so many of the beats in this film directly paralleled that movie. So there's a scene in this that I absolutely could not stand where the girlfriend in quotes sort of gets a sex worker from the street to like come in and have sex with Ryan Gosling and she sort of overlays herself onto her and it's this weird thing with these like two women both having sex with him at the same time and that scene literally happens in her oh my god except like Scarlett Johansson has no physical form in that yeah. at all. She's just a voice. But if I'm remembering correctly, it does not go as well as it does in this movie. Like it's completely a disaster. 
And I was like so surprised when they just did a kind of fade to black in this because I was just like, are we really gonna just say that this was like a good experience? Well, yeah, it's ridiculous. (laughs) But like the culmination of her is that Scarlett Johansson and all of these other kind of um, you know sentient beings all start talking to each other and form this sort of I can't believe you're spoiling this for me (laughs) form this kind of other consciousness that's beyond humans and basically like we're peacing out now like sorry Joaquin you know you're just not that interesting to me anymore because it's not actually all about his like white man feelings which is why the movie ultimately wound up working for me because it actually wasn't all about him right whereas in this like this woman person thing has no function Outside of just Ryan Gosling being sad. She's basically like a receptacle for him to share his emotions and occasionally, you know, have some exposition. And also, um, they have this device where ordinarily she can only be in the house because there's like a projector there and he like buys this handheld thing, which means that she can move around. And then for the final act of the film, um, they have to basically go on the run. So he has to take her with him and it's like... So essentially this device is now her body and if the device is destroyed, then she dies. Um, so obviously she dies right. and and then he's really sad about it. And then the final thing we see of her is like we see him interacting with this giant kind of sexy advertisement for basically her. It's, you know, because it's a mass market product and it's sort of acknowledging that like she's not really real after all. And I was just like, it's really weird, right? Because so many blockbuster movies are really sexist and do kind of clumsy girlfriend tropes. And this one, they clearly thought they were being smart. And because they were trying to do something complicated with it, I just, I was just so fascinated. I spent so much time just thinking about it and how they'd mishandled it. Because they were intentionally drawing your attention to the fact that it was like weird and hypocritical for him to be in a relationship with her, I think. You know, they had thought, oh yeah, this ties into our general theme of like, what's obedience and what's humanity. But her entire function in the plot it's just to be the world's most cliched, perfect, supportive girlfriend and then die for Ryan Gosling and then be forgotten. So it was completely, it completely cancelled out any intention they had. And also there was no, there was no hint of her having an internal life. Like it was almost like you were meant to think that the fact that her love for him appears to be genuine is her being more rebellious and that it's like, oh my God, it's authentic rather than it just being pre-programmed and you're meant to wonder like, is it real or not? And I'm just like, the really interesting thing to do here would be to make it really clear that she's not genuinely invested. Yeah. Because then it would actually like work. Because I think most people watching the movie are just going to be like, oh, it's like a girlfriend, right? And also, after I watched the film, because I was like fucking obsessed with this character because it was just so weirdly bad in context, I was just thinking how great this movie would be if Ryan Gosling's character was a woman. Which, like, obviously, you know, we all want more female protagonists. But in the context of that relationship, every single aspect of that would be completely different if it was a female replicant interacting with another female replicant. Yeah. And it was like, and she'd got herself, like, a girlfriend. But I think also it would be, like, a lot more self-aware and also more dispiriting because I think a woman would be more aware that the affection isn't real because it's very clear that the society in Blade Runner is just as male-dominated and sexist as our society because it's riddled with thoughtlessly sexist tropes. Like, they have, they have like, several sex workers in it, but it's also, like, the, the visuals and the costumes and all this stuff. It's, like, so clear 
they've not thought at all about the fact that their visual design is sexist and they're using women as set dressing and like there's all these adverts where it's attractive women and then there's this sequence when Ryan Gosling goes to the desert and he's in this sort of abandoned city and there's all these giant statues and they're all like horny women statues and I'm like I don't understand what I'm meant to be getting from this because I absolutely adored the aesthetic in the whole film like it's gorgeous to look at it's really it's just really beautiful all of the design work is incredible like the cinematography is really good and then I'm just like there's just all these like naked women wearing high heels like arching their backs there's like this shot of him like walking between like erect nipples and I'm just like what is what it's like I mean I'm aware that you're commodifying female bodies because I've been watching the film but like you're not commenting like why were they doing it why were the tits there why were the tits there Martin <laughs> That's the thing where it's like, oh, it's this really respected art film. It's we love Denis Villeneuve and it's an incredible like masterpiece and he's like really followed up to Blade Runner. But also there's just like a scene where someone just walks around like a tit forest. (laughs) (laughs) I was just so exhausted watching it, right? As we're recording this, the uh, the big story on Harvey Weinstein dropped at the New York Times yesterday, which was something that if you have even like a tangential awareness of the film industry this was not a surprising it was surprising that the story actually went public but you knew that this was a thing that was going on because i don't work in the film industry but i knew the general gist of this stuff i was like very surprised when i saw a couple of relatively prominent male film critics on my twitter expressing what appeared to be genuine shock and i was just like how can you be shocked by this like i'm not attached to hollywood i'm in fucking scotland like i knew about just grim just right. The denial levels. Anyway, sorry, continue. Right. And so there's just been there's just been, you know, discussion about the industry and then I had been thinking about this and then this morning went and saw the new Greta Gerwig film Lady Bird, which we can talk about next week on the um the film festival podcast we're going to do. But I totally loved it. It was so refreshing to see a movie directed by a woman about a teenage girl and her mother and just uh, really sort of positive representations of women on screen clearly ah so now i'm seeing why your opinion of this movie was colored so negatively <laughs> and then i went to this and was like you have got to be fucking kidding me like i just it was so gratuitous the like visualization or the visuals i guess of all of the female bodies not literally all of them in the movie because like Robin Wright plays uh, Ryan Gosling's boss and she has a kind of you know no nonsense police. Yeah, she's like a classic kind of aesthetic, you know, authoritarian right? cop character. Although even she hits on him. I was like, why? I mean, he's very hot in this movie, so on the one hand, I understand your feelings, but why does everyone in every single female character in this movie have to be? Oh God, I was it was making me insane, but. The scene you mentioned where uh, after Joy has died and Ryan Gosling is kind of walking back and sees the big hologram of her, like, she's naked. And there are the naked lady statues. And there are the sex workers who are largely unclothed. And there, just yeah, the... there's no, there's no, like, gigolos. <laughs> there's right. no, in this world, no one's consent. It's weird, right? Because it's like, because it's kind of presented as such a highbrow product, it's like more noticeable when women are so commodified. Yes. And it's like futuristic. It's like, surely if you're going to be like, oh, it's this disgraceful noir underworld, you're just going to have equal opportunity horniness. But no. No. And the way this movie has been received, there I've definitely seen some um, some people who didn't love it. And there was a great Wired review that I read 
critiquing it and basically saying that there had been some hope that it would update the problems that the original had had and fix them and that it did not do that at all. And I want to talk about the original in a second because I just rewatched that and I found it really interesting. But it just seemed so representative to me of the thoughtlessness that men have making things. <laughs> like something else I was pointing out in my review was it's like a sub X-Men level of using white yes. male protagonists in an allegorical yeah. setting because they are so explicit about the kind of the slavery politics right in a way that i don't think is i mean obviously you've seen the the, the original much more recently than i have but i don't think they really point it out so explicitly because it's not necessary it's like built into the depressing nature of the setting they're already in but in this one they kind of they go into um jared leto's villain character who's this sort of uh, you know, he's a scientist and tech billionaire and he's very creepy and he wants to build more replicants to be essentially a slave army and he has all these speeches about how, you know, he thinks that humankind needs replicants to um, to kind of serve them and all this stuff. But this this movie is like much more white overall than most kind of just mainstream blockbusters actually. Like they barely even had token side characters like they did have token side characters but the pivotal characters in this movie are ryan gosling jared leto jared leto's personal assistant who was probably my favorite character apart from ryan gosling and harrison ford you know and they're all white three of them are white men and it's all about you know the, the people we see kind of being oppressed and we're meant to sympathize with are Ryan Gosling, a brief character played by Dave Bautista from Guardians of the Galaxy, who gets killed off really soon at the beginning, and then Harrison Ford, because he's kind of lived this, you know, noir epilogue, essentially, to Blade Runner. And then Harrison Ford's girlfriend from the first Blade Runner is dead at this point, so there's, like, the double man pain. And then there's just, like, there's just not really any, like, people of colour in central roles, and it's just one of these weird situations where they really want to tell a story about oppression and they do have some like quite well-drawn scenes with Ryan Gosling where you can tell that his character is kind of he's like hiding part of himself from the outside world because he knows that he can't fully express um, his humanity because he needs to appear to be like an obedient robot and I'm like well done you've definitely written this well and then they just haven't like considered that it's real garbage to have every central person in the movie be a white man. It's just like it just feels like you ought to have noticed there's been like some kind of debate about this in pop culture for the past five years and also right. always. <laughs> and that's one of the flaws of the first one, is exactly what you just said. And I think the first one is in general a really, really good movie. There's a reason that it's a classic. I had seen it in college and basically forgotten 95% of it. And I'm really glad that I rewatched it because I think it made watching this one much more interesting and it was really good. So it was, you know, enjoyable to watch again. But the biggest problems with it are that it is quite sexist, not to this level at all, which is ironic given the fact that it was made in 1982 and that it's all basically all about white people. And as you say, it is a sort of metaphor for oppression. So there's an issue with that. So this this review I just read in Wired that I thought was good, that we'll link to, was basically saying, so the hope was with this new one, okay, we will be maybe rectify some of these issues with the sequel. And they just doubled down on all of it because clearly there had been no critical thought that went in to this. And you just think, what why and 
the thing that I found so kind of interesting watching the original was that Harrison Ford's girlfriend in Blade Runner is played, or girlfriend, his love interest, is played by an actress called Sean Young, and she gets the short shrift, as you would expect. She doesn't get as much character development as you'd want. She's kind of absent from the third act of the film. But for the most, for most of the time when she is on screen, I think she's really compelling and quite interesting. Then they have a sort of lead up to a sex scene. You don't actually see them having sex. Where they kind of kiss and then she tries to leave his apartment. And he won't let her go and sort of grabs her. And says a couple of things to her like you know say kiss me or like say that you want me and it goes on for a minute or two and it's really really horrible and uncomfortable and it's clear watching it that you're not supposed to think that it's horrible right like it's not supposed to read as like wow this is really rapey it's just that they didn't kind of like watching a movie from the 30s where the exactly the gender role situation is off right and i remember watching it and thinking Hollywood is still super, super sexist, obviously, but I don't think this would get through now. Like, there's some, something has changed that there is this particular interaction I don't think would no. get through a mainstream movie, right? But they've swapped it for something else. <laughs> exactly. It was like, it's just shifted in a weird way. And I found that scene really horrible to watch. But in a way, it was I could just sort of watch the movie and almost delete it from my brain in terms of the experience of watching it. It's not that it shouldn't be included in the evaluation of the film, obviously, but I I could still watch and feel the same way about Harrison Ford's character the whole time and not be like, oh, he's a rapist because you're not you're clearly not supposed to think that about him, right? I just kind of was like, well, I'm just gonna skip over that one and keep watching this film and like enjoy it as it is, whereas. Watching this, there's so much of it in the whole film, as opposed to just one scene where you're like, hmm, that's real bad, that I found it overwhelming in a really unpleasant way. And I thought Ryan Gosling did a good job with what he had, and I thought Harrison Ford actually was really, really great. He has the kind of most emotional stuff. Um, Unfortunately, his most emotional scene comes with Jared Leto, who is just like, what... He, what he's doing in this movie, I really don't uh, know. Or yeah, understand. I think we should we should probably talk a little bit about Jared Leto because yeah, it's weird because um we were just talking before the podcast. I was wondering if this was a role a bit like the Joker, where he'd filmed more scenes and then had them cut because he does seem kind of extraneous from the film. You know, there is a couple of aspects of the movie that kind of seem like they've they're more kind of traditional blockbustery. Like one of them is the fact that they have this really clear supervillain who has this kind of overarching goal of wanting a replicant army and all this stuff. And he kind of gives, he basically shows up to give kind of supervillain monologues three times in the movie. And while every other character was interesting in some way and like felt quite natural, every time he started monologuing, I just, I honestly couldn't like focus because I was just like, why are you talking? It's just like, you know, he really likes the sound of his own voice, whatever. Um, but it wasn't really adding anything to the experience. And the other thing that was really blockbustery was in the very kind of final act when Ryan Gosling is told that he's not actually the replicant's son and he's actually just someone with implanted memories. They, like, right at the end kind of introduced the concept of there being this replicant resistance army. So he, like, joins this about 10 minutes from the end and that's the thing that really, like, tips him over. It felt 
so kind of blockbustery, but also not in keeping with the fact that this is a noir story, right? The original Blade Runner is incredibly noir. And then it's like, you can't really insert like a heroic thing at the last moment. It it was really strange. Yeah. So one of the sort of great things about the original Blade Runner, I think, and it wasn't a big hit at the time, which makes sense when you watch it, because it's not an action movie in any way. There's a the big climactic sequence at the end is Harrison Ford and Rutger Hauer sort of chasing each other around this house and they're they're it is a fight sequence essentially, but it is not an action movie. It's very slow, particularly if you watch the director's cut, which I think basically everyone does now, which has no uh, voiceover, mm-hmm. which the original theatrical release did. It's an art film, essentially. So it's kind of remarkable that it has the cult status that it does amongst, obviously amongst real film nerds, but I think beyond that audience. And this, someone was saying on a podcast I was listening to this week, made the interesting point that this is like a big blockbuster scale sequel to a movie that did not have that status at the time, which is kind of interesting. Well, that's why like all the way, I mean, I don't have the reaction to this that I had to Jurassic World, which is this is just a pox in everyone's house. I had overall a positive experience apart from the sexism while watching this movie, but just the concept of a sequel, like I think in my review, I was just like, it's like Casablanca. You don't make a sequel. Like it's not a film that requires or should have additional content. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I found myself increasingly aggravated watching it because Blade Runner has one of the great endings in cinema. Sean Young and Harrison Ford are running away from the bad guys, essentially, and are hoping that they're not going to get hunted down. And you don't know whether Harrison Ford is a replicant or not. The movie leaves it completely ambiguous. And it's just over. And you, this should not ever have been continued. And then when the news of this came out, I was like, well, you know, Blade Runner isn't a massively personal film to me, right? I think it's very good, but it's not like this is a sacred text in my life. All the talent involved in this is great. Denis Villeneuve is a really talented director. Ryan Gosling is one of my favorite actors. Like, sure, this might wind up being really good. And I think the problem was that the original is, I think I saw some review that described it as slippery, and I think that that's exactly the right word. You have this protagonist in Harrison Ford who you're clearly meant to not hate, but who it becomes apparent as you watch the movie is the bad guy. He's hunting down these people for no real reason. I mean, it's his job, but they haven't done anything. And there is this sort of weird moral ambiguity the whole time. Well, it is literally like a movie from the 30s or 40s. Yeah. Um, And then it ends on this really uh, interesting note. And the plot is not complicated. He's hunting these people down. He's trying to find them. He ultimately winds up killing all of them. Like, that's really the whole... And he falls in love with this lady. Like, that's the whole thing. That's the whole movie. And then this film, I think, like, it is all a screenplay problem. And I I was kind of wondering how it was going to turn out because, and it was interesting to watch because, as you say, it is totally stunning visually. Like, it's gorgeous to look at. But Villeneuve, who directed Arrival at Sicario and then um, a couple other films, Enemy and Prisoners, and I've seen Enemy, I haven't seen Prisoners, it seems to me is completely at the mercy of whatever screenplay he has picked 
So Arrival, most people listening to this, I imagine, have seen wonderful film, right? Has this great female protagonist played by Amy Adams, wonderful message about human connectivity and like cooperation. Sicario is a sort of crime drama-ish, you could say. Emily Blunt plays the main character, and I find that film hideously sexist. I was so mad sitting in the movie theater watching that. But it is one of the best directed movies I've seen in a long time. I kind of thought he should be nominated for director for that movie, and I fucking hated it. Like, that's how good a job he did. And then Enemy has some woman problems, and then, but not to this degree at all. And it's very well directed. And so it seems to me like he's a person who is always going to do a great job directing and has no sort of ability to parse what he's getting on that level. Like, if he gets a good screenplay, then we're all in good hands because he's going to do a hell of a job directing it. But if it's a bad screenplay, then the movie's not going to... Like, it's going to look good, but it's going to sound good because he's, he's great with sound. Like, he's great at creating a mood. He, he's good with working with actors. The actor, actors in his movies are always great. But the screenplay to this movie makes no fucking sense. So it like, was co-written. It was co-written by Hampton Fancher, who's like in his 70s and wrote the original Blade Runner. Yeah. And the other co-writer is Michael Green, who's, his career is like skyrocketing at the moment. Like no one had heard of who he was last year, but mm-hmm. he's currently the co-showrunner of American Gods and he co-wrote Logan and um, Alien Covenant, I think. Um, so he's done like three Which is interesting. blockbusters in a year. Because Alien Covenant is, like, the more interesting version of this story. I mean, Alien Covenant had about five writers, one of whom was John Logan. Yes. regular listeners may know that we fucking adore. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I give John Logan the credit for the interestingness of... He's the Penny Dreadful guy, by the way. He made Penny Dreadful. And also wrote, like, Skyfall. Yeah, he's great. (laughs) Um, But in terms of having a, a sort of evil corporate overlord who's creating, you know robot beings and then one who's rebelled against the system and then more docile ones coming up and all i mean it's the very similar themes which makes sense obviously because really scott is the person who way back originated all this stuff but i just kept thinking watching this there was so much stuff like how is all of this serving to drive toward like a final conclusion or the plot so like the girlfriend no function Jared Leto, what are you doing here? Even the the um, his sort of underling woman who you quite liked, I found her motivations very confusing. And you, she kind of says something at the end that's meant to clarify them, but I found her very, very opaque. So what did she say that you thought was meant to clarify? I'm the best one. I mean, I clearly just didn't even notice that. But I, I found her really interesting, maybe because I was like desperately looking for right. a woman to engage with. But... um. Basically, I I really like the actress who's, I think her name's Sylvia Hoax. She's um, a Dutch actress who I've never seen in anything. But while kind of Ryan Gosling acts, it's quite similar to Drive. Like he's got this combination of being really sensitive and puppy dog eyes. And then occasionally he'll like have to haul off and murder someone because that's his job. But she is much more obviously a replicant. She's got like, you know, a really solid robot performance, which not everyone can pull off without just seeming shit um and also like she's her physically she's really powerful she's got this real kind of certainty when she's doing kind of fight scenes and that sort of thing without it being really kind of over the top like you know she's she's not meant to be like black widow but 
her role kind of mirrors Ryan Gosling because while Ryan Gosling is working for the LAPD to track down other replicants and kill them, she's working for Jared Leto, who is the kind of overarching supervillain, and she's by his side all the time, she's following all of his orders, but when you see them in personal scenes one-on-one, it's really clear that she's incredibly frightened of him and he's meant to be this grotesque figure because there's this one scene kind of towards the beginning where he's kind of inspecting this new model of replicant, which is, of course, a naked, beautiful woman. And um, she doesn't really do anything. She just kind of like drops out of her slime sack. And then Jared Leto's character, who is blind for really no particular reason, um, <laughs> paws her while giving this speech. Um, and it is like a really disturbing, unsettling scene. And the whole thing is automatically creepy with any scene where someone's like naked and vulnerable and someone else has power over them kind of he kisses her a little bit and then stabs her and it's like it's very cliched but it's also really effective and then throughout the whole scene in the background his personal assistant whose name is love is just standing there and she's clearly petrified and is really creeped out by this but also whenever she's chasing after ryan gosling and harrison ford she's got this like obsessive drive to succeed which is way more than ryan gosling does like you don't get the impression that ryan gosling enjoys his work as a blade runner whereas she is just like she's so kind of vicious and disturbing and i was kind of like i feel like she's she's uh she's trying to justify herself by being really dedicated but at the same time you know, people are hypocritical and she's in this weird situation where like she doesn't think she has any other way out. So the only way to survive is to live within the system and all this stuff. And I was like, you know, this is actually like a solid motivation that I could figure out in my head while I was watching. And I was thinking that she was a really kind of complex character. Um, And I don't know how much of that was me and how much of that was the film. And I guess we will never know because that's how art works. (laughs) It's true. I think that that would have worked a lot better if the movie had paid attention to her more like at all because i i definitely more near the beginning was like oh yeah she's really scared of him which made sense because he was like murdering people and just being generally a creep but then it seemed like she was vastly more just serving a plot function and then i became much much less interested in her yeah. and the sort of parallel between them or like them acting as kind of foils for each other literally had not occurred to me because she seemed like just such a whatever character and I do think the actress did a good job with the material she's given but I don't think that she was given that much material that was interesting unfortunately um she certainly of all the women in the movie I mean she had the most to do except Robin Wright I guess yeah Um, I mean it's another it's another example of how there was this weird kind of clash between the more sort of arty clever side of the film and just like the weird blockbuster stuff that's tacked on which I wish I noticed when I was writing my review because I wrote it like right after seeing the film and in like the day after I've been just thinking about how it did seem a little bit kind of glued together because it does the final act just injects this whole like replicant rebellion thing and they don't develop Love's kind of arc compared to him. And then they just like drop the girlfriend. So it's it does feel a bit kind of disconnected in retrospect. Yeah, I found the it all really incoherent. The when the like replicant army shows up at the end, I was making, I think, probably hilarious faces at the screen. Like I just could not believe what I was seeing. And I think it really speaks to the kind of political incoherence of the movie. Like, obviously, they have themes they want to be exploring, but I don't think that they 
fully knew what they were or knew how to articulate them maybe, which I think is definitely a problem in Sicario also. And this is obviously like screenwriting stuff, but it also, you know, it's ultimately, ultimately the director's job to make sure the movie comes off. And I wonder if there's something that he has sort of an issue with there, but it just felt like it was going all over the place near the end, particularly because they've obviously set it up so that Ryan Gosling isn't the kid. But I definitely bought that he was for most of the movie until you find out that he's not. Because if he's not, then like, what is the fucking point of this film? Like, just let him be Harrison Ford's son so that he has some purpose in life. Like, oh my god. I quite and, like that he wasn't Harrison Ford's son. Well, see, I was thinking to myself, like, this is, in theory, this is obviously a better plot twist, right? But in practice, you've had one scene with the daughter, and she's, like, locked away, cooped up in this weird, I don't even know what. And I actually thought the scene with her and Ryan Gosling was maybe the best scene in the movie. I thought it was really good. Um, but... It seemed like such a sort of like, haha, we tricked you. Actually, it's a girl, but we don't have any time for women in this movie, so sorry. It's still going to be about Ryan Gosling for the rest of the movie. And I was like, why, why are we doing this? Like, this is so this is stupid. And it, it just felt like the movie didn't really know where it was going or what it wanted to do. And then at the end, just turns into a fight scene because uh, that's what's going to happen. And then ends on a very resolved note, which is completely the opposite of the original Blade Runner. And not that it has to be doing exactly the same thing, but it left me paradoxically feeling so much less satisfied than that very ambiguous and kind of disturbing ending of the first one. I was like, this is not what what I needed at all. Like, it's just, you know, Ryan Gosling dies, but he died doing a good thing. And now Harrison Ford has his daughter back. It's all great. I was like, fuck this. <laughs> like, I know. Oh my God. Like, who cares at this point? Like, I don't know. I was so frustrated. So I think I in, our, so in our kind of rewritten version, all of the visual design is the same apart from we delete the boobs. Um, yes. and, and like the cinematography is behind. We keep all of that stuff. Um, the basic premise is the same. But Ryan Gosling's played by a woman. And also we remove the whole situation where there's a resistance force of replicants, which is just like, you suddenly just turn this into the Hunger Games. And for the first two thirds of the movie, I thought it was Casablanca. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. It really was just like, uh, I was, I was very frustrated, especially because the bare bones of the plot could make a really good movie. And instead they did this, which I don't know what they were. I just found it. It's just, I found it very. It's just quite hard ugh. to focus on a movie about dehumanization when you're feeling like low key dehumanized. While <laughs> yeah, <watching. laughs> that is a great summary of the experience of this. I just couldn't. It was ugh. even like the sort of. Like, the scenes where they were clearly supposed to be long and tense, and I was like, I don't care. This is... I don't give a shit about this. And I just kept waiting for the girlfriend to come back, because I knew I was going to get mad again. Uh, yeah. It was, yeah I, was, I was annoyed. And I felt 
aggravated because Harrison Ford actually like does real acting in this movie. And I thought you have wasted this on the wrong thing. <laughs> like we don't get this often. And it was, mm, it was too bad. Ugh, Ryan Gosling. Well, it's going to be a respected film. And yeah, if it hadn't been so sexist, I think we both would have been much more forgiving. I, that's I am absolutely general, true. Forgiving. Like I did, I didn't. I didn't dislike the experience of watching this movie. I just wish I'd written my review twenty four hours later after I had time <laughs> to gently percolate a little bit more. Yeah, and Roger Deakins, the cinematographer, might win an Oscar for it, which would nominated be fine. thirteen times. Yep, still never so, won. Yeah. He's got the most beautiful white hair in the business. So <laughs> look him up. He's got a spectacular visage. Um, yeah. And I don't know. It's just all very depressing. Um, but next week we will be talking about film festival movies. And I've seen some great stuff. And some bad stuff. But And I, I'm about to. I'm about to spend the next week at the London Film Festival. Morgan's been at New York. We have been doing transatlantic coverage for you. Yes, so we will be ready with some recommendations for what to see and what not to see. Smaller movies than Blade Runner 2049, but we will hope you will turn in for that. Thank you, as always, for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review on iTunes. That's how we find new listeners. And otherwise, you can find us on overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod or on Tumblr at Overinvested Podcast. Thanks. Bye.